Father God, we come before you now and we acknowledge the truths that we just sung about, Lord, that you are the God of our fathers, our help in ages past. Lord, you're the Savior that lights the way. And in this life, we face various trials and circumstances that uh, are unfortunate, Lord. Things like war or things like disease. A number of things that cause pain and sorrow, Lord. And we especially now remember families and friends of those that have lost loved ones serving our country. Lord, we pray that this holiday weekend that your presence and your comfort and the peace of Christ that is found in no other place will be especially near to them. Lord, we're grateful for the way that you have blessed us in so many ways, Lord, and blessed us to be a part of this country, Lord. And I pray that we would not take that for granted, Lord. And I pray that more than anything that we would be grateful for the provisions that you've given us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, our time now, Lord, in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, Memorial Day sparks various thoughts for various people. For many, it means cookouts and fireworks. For others, it is the beginning of a summer break and the opening of local swimming pools for the very first time of the year. Still for others, it is a time of grieving and remembrance over the loss of individuals, men and women, who have served our country. And Memorial Day, as the name suggests, is a national holiday in which we remember the men and women who have died serving in the United States Armed Forces. And those of us that are citizens of the United States of America and enjoy the privileges of that citizenship owe grateful remembrance to all of those who have served our country. But for Christians, those whom we gratefully remember is even broader. And in the pages of Scripture today, we will see one individual, the Apostle Paul, who beautifully expressed grateful remembrance of a certain group, a certain group that all of us as believers, as Christians, owe grateful remembrance to. And we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 1 this morning, so I would invite you, encourage you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We'll be beginning in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 1. And this is how God's word reads there. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. And he says in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day 
of Christ Jesus. People bond over similarities. You know this. If you like sci-fi movies, then you probably have no problem sitting down and talking for hours with someone else who likes sci-fi movies. If you like to garden, then you have a natural connection, a natural bonding point with other people that like to garden. And we could say the same thing about fishing or hiking or sewing or mountain biking or basket weaving or whatever. People bond over similarities. And we especially see this in the South, in our culture, over sports teams, do we not? For some reason, it's very easy for us to naturally connect with, to bond with people that are just as crazy about the outcome of a particular game or season as we are. In fact, did you know that there are sports fan clubs for your favorite sports teams all over the country? A number of you probably knew this. Uh, but, for example, if, if you are in St. Louis, um, you might bond with other people and join with a particular sports team fan club just because those people enjoy the same team that you enjoy. And so you might find yourself, uh, somebody in St. Louis that's joined a club like this, or Dallas or, or wherever in our country, might find themselves sitting down and watching a sports game with people that he doesn't know simply because they cheer for the same team that's hundreds of miles away. But we bond over this stuff. But for believers, for Christians, for followers of Jesus Christ, there is one thing, one connecting point, one piece of truth, one experience of truth that we naturally bond with other Christians over to a greater degree than anything else. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the center of fellowship for believers. The gospel is the center of fellowship for believers. And this is the central truth or thought that, that we'll see from God's word this morning in Philippians chapter 1. The gospel is the center of fellowship for believers. For those that have trusted in Christ for salvation, for those that have gone from death to life, there's a natural affinity for other people who have experienced that same transformation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For all those that have trusted in Christ for salvation, there is a bond, a connection, a link, unlike anything else in this life. And this is the truth that the Apostle Paul was getting at in Philippians chapter 1. And this is why he could say and write what he did in verses 3 and 4. That I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. And in a similar way to the way that we gratefully remember those that have served us by serving our country. 
we gratefully remember all who have bonded together over the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thankfully can remember one another before our God in heaven. And we see right here in verses 3 and 4 that God has blessed us with fellow believers. God has blessed us, all of us in the church, with fellow believers. The church, the gathered people of God, is, is God's design. It's not ours. And so because it's his design, we don't, we don't participate in church because, like these other clubs or fan clubs or, or, or like interest groups because there's something in it for us. We participate in church because it's God's design. And thank God that he has designed the church in, in a way that, that, that worships him, that glorifies him, and that gives us a connecting point of fellowship with other believers. God has blessed us with fellow believers. And it's important that we understand what it is to be a part of the church. It's important that we understand what it is to be a part of this church. And so we're looking this fall at doing a class on who we are as the church. What does it mean to be part of the church? What does it mean to be part of an evangelical church? What does it mean to be part of a Southern Baptist church? What does it mean to be part of Meadowbrook Baptist Church. God has blessed us with other fellow believers in the church and thank God that he has not called us to follow him or to worship him or to live for him in isolation. He has joined us together with other believers with various likes and dislikes across the age spectrum from young to old, men and women, boys and girls, that can come together and connect over one piece of truth and transformation that penetrates beyond all of these other things, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this morning that as your pastor, I am extremely grateful for you. I'm grateful to, to come alongside you and to serve with you people from various backgrounds with different interests, but one commonality transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so like Paul wrote here with the church at Philippi, I want you to know that I have gratefully remembered you in my prayers before God this week. And as often as we remember one another, we ought to thank God for each other. So when we remember one another, when we think about other believers in our church, this church, let's thank God that he has blessed us with each other. One body, following Christ together, knowing Christ together, growing in Christ together. And we see here from this passage that God has not only blessed us with fellow believers, but we see in verse 5 very clearly that we are partners in the gospel we are partners in the gospel. Look back at verse 5. Paul wrote that he always prayed with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnering together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And the word that's translated here in the, in the NIV as partnership is translated a number of ways in different translations. So if you're using a different translation, it might have a different word. It might say partnership. It might say uh, participation. It might say sharing in the gospel. It might even say fellowship in the gospel. And this particular word here for partnership is most often in other occurrences in the New Testament translated as fellowship, as fellowship in something, the fellowship of believers. In the English Standard Version, rightly caught this nuance in, in Acts chapter 2.42 when it describes the early church this way. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. But here in Philippians chapter 1, I think there's a slightly different nuance being communicated. It's a little bit more than what we probably think of when we think of fellowship. Because when we think of fellowship, we probably think of warm friendship with other Christians, maybe eating fried chicken at a potluck downstairs in the fellowship hall, right? And that's important. That's fellowship. But right here, something slightly more than that is being communicated. It is a partnership. It is a participation. And this particular word used had commercial overtones in that day. So if two guys entered into business together... They were joining together in a fellowship, a partnership. They had shared values that led to a shared commitment together in their business. And the same thing is true for all believers. We have a shared value that leads to a shared commitment that hinges on, that is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like this church here in Philippi did with Paul. And we know that they partnered with him in the gospel in various ways. One way that we read about very clearly in Philippians chapter 4 is that they partnered with him financially. They supported his ministry. And he talks about that in Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. He, he encourages them. He thanks them for, for giving to him and his ministry in a, in a period of hardship, how they gave to him and brought aid to him over and over again. But I think here... He's saying this is more than that. This is more than a financial partnership in, in the ministry of the gospel. This is shared participation in the gospel. And the reason I think that is because of what it says in verse 5, how this is described. It says, from the first day until now, I thank my God because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This description of an ongoing and enduring partnership from the time of their conversion, from the founding of their church about 10 years prior to this, on, on into eternity, the shared commitment around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a commitment to the gospel is a commitment to Jesus Christ. A commitment to the gospel is a commitment to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And to be committed to Christ is also to be committed to, to the advancement of the truth about Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of what Paul is getting at here. Your partnership in the gospel, your partnership in the advancement of this truth about Jesus Christ and this church ought to be what we're about. 
about advancing the truth of Jesus Christ, a shared commitment to the gospel that works to declare and to promote and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is a task that is for all Christians. All Christians partner together in the gospel, and so proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel, spreading the gospel is a task for all believers. It wasn't simply the task of Paul. It's not simply the task of missionaries, professional missionaries today. It's not simply the task of your pastor. It is the task of all believers to rally behind, to connect on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to to live to promote that gospel of Jesus Christ to all people. The gospel is the center of fellowship for believers in Jesus Christ. So this ought to cause us to reflectively ask of ourselves, what is it, really, what is it that ties us together? What is it that, that we talk about most often with each other? What is it that dominates our discussions in this place and outside of this place with, with other believers? Maybe it's some of these things that, that I mentioned at the beginning, some of these shared interests. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's parenting. Maybe it's the weather. And there's nothing wrong with any of these things, but let's be known by our commitment together to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we gather together, whether it's in this place or with individual believers outside of this place, let's continually speak and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's magnify God together by lifting high the person of Jesus Christ in, in our conduct, in our speech, in our actions, in our words. And let's join together in, in living out this truth in a missional way every day in this world. The gospel is the center of fellowship for believers, and promoting it must be central in all that we do. And if we're left to our own, the sad reality is we will fail miserably at this. But the good news is that we are not left on our own to accomplish this. The reality is that God is working to carry out his mission in the world through us, through the church, through his people. And just like we would fail to and all have fallen to be right with God because of our actions, because of our sin, because of our disobedience. We would all fail to, to live out the transformed life that is a result of knowing Christ because of our sin as well. We are grossly inadequate because of our sin. But the good news for us in verse 6 is that our confidence is not in ourselves, but is in God. Our confidence is in God. Look back at verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Our confidence to live lives of obedience to God, our confidence 
to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ is not in ourselves. It is in our God. God is the one who creates. God is the one who saves. And God is the one who sustains. He's the one that keeps us in the faith. He's the one that keeps us in the fellowship. And we see accounts of this all over the New Testament. We see it in the book of Jude, the letter, the short letter uh, that Jude wrote to the scattered church addressing false teaching. We see it at the beginning, talking about Jesus as the one that will keep you. And we see it at the end of that letter, Jesus is the one who will keep you. And thank God that we serve a God who sustains us, who keeps us, not only in the faith, but that guides us and directs us to live out this faith. And notice here how this salvation is described in verse 6. It is a good work in you. A good work in you. That's a description of salvation here. Notice it doesn't say a good work for you or through you or by you. It is a good work in you. It is describing a transformation a transformed life that is the result of salvation in Jesus Christ. It is the result of responding, hearing, knowing, and responding to the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Biblical salvation always includes a transformed life. Let me say that again. Biblical salvation always always includes a transformed life. And this is the, the reality, the truth that Paul was speaking to in, in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 6, where he's been talking about the grace of God and how salvation is only by God's grace. It's nothing that we can do. It's nothing that we can earn. And he anticipates a certain response to that reality, that because it's only by grace, then why not live however we want to? It's not based on our own works. It's based on the grace of God. And, and he addresses this very, very directly, very clearly in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? If you have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, then you have died to sin. You are no longer ruled by sin. You are no, no longer uh, reigned over by sin. You are ruled by Jesus Christ. And that necessarily involves a transformed life, a changed life, a response to the reality of salvation by the grace of God in your life. And because it's by God's grace that we're saved and because this same grace is the grace that allows us to live a life of obedience to him, God deserves all the credit and God deserves all the glory for anything good that we do. It's his. When we live a life of obedience, when we do things that are reflective of salvation, of knowing Christ, God deserves the praise because not only is God the one that saves us by his grace, he is also the one that transforms us into his image by his grace. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
So has God begun a good work in you? Has God begun a good work in you? Has he transformed your life because of the saving grace that he has extended to you through through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross? Is the gospel center in your life? Do you know Christ? I promise you that this church, other believers in this place, want to partner with you want to see you as a partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can thankfully remember you before our God every time we remember you. Don't wait. Don't wait to turn to Christ for salvation. Don't wait because you see yourself as undeserving or inadequate or not ready. Because the, the biblical truth is that, that none of us are adequate before God. None of us will ever be adequate before God except by the bloodshed of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So turn to Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. It is only by grace that you can turn to Christ It is only by God's grace that you can live a life of obedience, that you can live out this gospel transformation in your life. But because of grace, you can fully live a life of obedience in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now and we Acknowledge that you are the reason that we have gathered this morning. That you are the almighty God. Lord, that you have given us your word. That you have given us reason to to desire to know you and to live for you and to sing praises to you. And to be transformed by the gospel truth, Lord. And I pray that that is exactly what takes place in our lives this day and every day. Lord, I pray that that we would turn to you. Lord, that every time that we remember one another, that we remember fellow believers, that we would be able to thank you for them because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Lord, I pray that that you would receive praise in our lives today, that you'd be glorified in our lives today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. At this time, we will respond to the truth of God's word, and you respond however God leads you. Um, If you've trusted in Christ for salvation, and we don't know that as your church, as this church, come and let us know that now. If you have questions about what that means for you, then you come and talk with us now. Maybe God is leading you to be a part of this church, to partner together with this church, Meadowbrook Baptist Church, for the proclamation of the gospel, then you come now as well. You respond however God leads you. Let's stand and sing together.